Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading today comes uh, in Matthew 5, 1 through 5. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, before we begin, I wanted us just to start with something a little bit unfamiliar to us. Would you just start off by turning to a neighbor and sharing what comes to mind when you hear the word meek? And go. What comes to mind when you hear the word meek? Okay. So we're in the third week in our Beatitudes series. These are the eight uh, Beatitudes, the eight blessings of unexpected blessings that Jesus declared in the very beginning of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And here we are in the third week of the Beatitudes, and we find this statement, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So, curious, what came to mind when you hear the word meek or when your neighbor heard the word meek? Let's see, a little audience participation here. Shy? Mousy? Who else thought of a mouse? Why is that what we think of? That's what I think. Maybe because eek? Eek sounds like something a mouse would say. What else? Timid? Not you. <laughs> yeah. That's good. In many ways, this word meek is, is very unfamiliar to us. In, in his commentary, Bible scholar William Barclay said about meekness, he said this, meekness is the most untranslatable of words in the New Testament. Very helpful. Thank you, William Barclay, whose job is to translate words in the New Testament. It's, uh, this word meek is unfamiliar to us, and I think that actually is trying to teach us something if we allow it. Possibly, We would be more familiar with this word meek if it was a concept that we appreciated, lifted up as a society. If this is something that we celebrate, if we celebrated meekness, perhaps it would be more familiar. But it's not the aspiration of our culture today, is to grow in meekness. I have never heard a parent say, I pray God you'd make my child more meek. It's like pray, make them more confident, strong, courageous, and wise. Meekness? Eh, don't think so. Though it's rare in our vernacular today, the word meek is used often in the New Testament and throughout Scripture. The Greek word for meek is this word prautis. And if you were to, if you were to look, you'd found this word prautis often in the New Testament, and it's used in many different ways, which maybe is what makes it hard for us to translate and understand. So for our message today, as we unpack this one beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, I would like for us to look at different ways that people have understood this concept of meekness, to hopefully expand it for our own understanding, and then for us to look at perhaps why this this characteristic, this trait of meekness invites us into a blessed life. So the first understanding of meekness, 
as this. So quite often when the word proutis is, is found in the New Testament, it's, it's described as gentleness. It's translated as gentleness. So for instance, in Galatians 5, and 23, this verse talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And that there is this fruit of the Spirit, and here it is in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. This is also could be translated meekness and self-control. Against such things there is no such law. So what does this mean? This means that as we deepen our relationship with Christ, as we learn to follow the ways of Jesus more and more, as that becomes a part of us, these fruit should just be popping out of our life. It should be making itself more evident. And one of these <laughs> fruits is gentleness, meekness. And why this is important is that you can know a tree by studying its fruit. So for instance, when, when my wife and I moved into our home, in our backyard, there was this exotic looking tree in our backyard uh, because I'm not an arborist or someone who even cares about stuff, stuff like that. I had no clue what this tree was until springtime. And all of a sudden, these like yellow fruits started budding from this tree. And my neighbors felt, I guess because this tree's been there for a while, felt confident to go into my backyard and pluck this fruit and eat it. Cool, right? Uh, I'm not territorial at all. Uh, so, you know, what I learned through this process is that uh, this tree is called a loquat. And not only is this tree in my backyard, but actually the fruit's pretty enjoyable. And this, this has made me wonder, when it comes to our life, when it comes to your life, as neighbors pass by and see you and observe your life, are they seeing this fruit of gentleness express itself in more evident ways? As you continue your life with Jesus, are you growing with more gentleness and meekness? Is that popping out of your life? If you were to have like a snapshot of, of your life three years ago and your life today, is that fruit more and more evident? This is God's desire, is that by Christ's presence, not about our, our, our striving to be different, but by just us living and abiding with Jesus, that we would grow into the people that God has created us to be, that we would be growing into being people who are more gentle. And a huge part of growing in meekness and gentleness is seeing the agency, seeing the, the, the God-given power that we have to respond to the things in our life. Like, I've noticed in, in my life, and my marriage in particular, that things go off the rails when I just become reactive. When things happen to me and I just react in the most intuitive ways that go contrary to the fruit of gentleness. Guys, it is, it is so sad how predictable 90% of my arguments with my wife, Jen, are. Like, if if you were to like observe our life and we kind of venture into the space where it kind of seems like we're going to have an argument, we could call a timeout and like NFL commentators could stop and say, now what's about to happen here is, <laughs> Mark's not going to appreciate the tone that Jen is giving off. So he's going to match it. Jen will make some sort of statement and then Mark will nitpick the words always, never, and every time. Can I get an amen on that? 
Oh, every time I always do that, and it, things will spiral out of control, and they will forget why they even started arguing. This is how predictable it is when I am reactive. And so much of our life in conflicts can just be us reacting to the world around us and the script that we are given or the script that seems natural to us. <clears throat> and what I can neglect is the reality that I have, by God's presence and gift in my life, I have this agency to respond, to choose to respond to what happens around me. I heard a friend recently share a prayer that he's been praying over himself, and it's this, God, grant me the wisdom to see the space between stimulus in response. Isn't that good? God, grant me the wisdom to, to see between stimulus when something happens to me and my choice of how I'm going to respond. Give me the wisdom to see that space and actually exist there, to acknowledge that I have agency in how I respond. I have agency when someone cuts me off in traffic. I actually get to respond to how I react to that. Do I give them my emotion, my, uh, my mindset, my attention? When that email is sent to me and I just write one real quick and I have the opportunity to push reply or I have this space to kind of go, whoa, what's going on in me right now? Or when a child is saying a hurtful word to me. Like whatever it is, whatever the stimulus it is, we can't control the things that come to us. But we have the ability to respond either in reacting in a harsh way or inserting gentleness in our life, in that space. You can control, you can't control the stimulus, but you can control, by God's grace, how you respond. And the meek people of this world, they know it. They know how to insert gentleness in their life. The second way we find the word meekness in Scripture is through this concept of humility. Those who are meek are unassuming, they're unpretentious, and they're modest. They don't have a bloated sense of self or ego, but they, they're marked with this quiet confidence of who they are. In Eugene Peterson's translation of this, this beatitude, he wrote this. This is how he transcribed meekness. He said, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. The humble, they know who they are, no more, no less. They don't try to, to land grab for a sense of value and worth. They know who they are, but they, also, they aren't self-deprecating. They're meek. They're humble. They disengage in this, this culture of competition that we so easily fall into, this belief that winner takes all. The meek, they do not praise, uh, bend praise towards themselves or attention towards themselves. They're content in knowing who they are in God's eyes. An example of this uh, my study of Scripture is John the Baptist. When Jesus, uh, before Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist was like the go-to person that people, when they were uh, hungry to see wisdom and hear wisdom and know truth, they would go off into the wilderness. They'd find John the Baptist, and he, was, he made a name for himself. He was prominent. But then Jesus came, and all of a sudden, people began to look towards Jesus as the giver of truth, this, this, this person with such authority and word and deed. And after a while, some of John's disciples, they started following Jesus, and some of the remnant came to him and said, hey, <laughs> I don't know if you're noticing this, but we are kind of losing our standing in our society, or the people aren't coming after you, John, anymore. They're not coming after us. They're coming after Jesus. 
And John's response just displays such humility and meekness. In the response to the loss of popularity and importance, John said this in John 3.30, He, Jesus, must become greater, and I must become less. But John, he, he was such a meek character. He was like, you know, I want the name of Christ to be great. I don't, I don't care for my, my, my name to be, to be made great. If, if, it's, if this is the season of my life where Jesus' authority and power and reputation is going to increase and mine decrease, so be it. We see such meekness in John. And in our own life, in our own world, we see people who are humble, that they are quite content playing a supporting role in God's story. They don't care to be the main character in their own life story. They, they would rather be a supporting role in God's story, what God is doing in this world. And the meek people, the humble people, they're able to live in that way. So we find meekness is gentleness, humility. Third, it's the meek people are passionately balanced. This is a concept that was made very known about 300 years before the time of Christ by Aristotle. It was a trait he spoke often. He spoke often about meekness. This word proutis, according to Aristotle, is the middle ground between uh, two extremes. It's between middle ground between getting angry without reason, someone who like, you know, is just very volatile, and the person who does not get angry at all. Meekness is this middle ground between people who are volatile, just susceptible just, uh, of just blowing off the, the rails and people who are just stoic and unemotional. The meek person is in that middle place. They become passionate <clears throat> at the right time, in the right measure, for the right reason. So to be meek doesn't mean you're just a doormat or spineless. Uh, it just means that your passions are made evident when it's appropriate. We see this in Jesus. Jesus was not a volatile person. He didn't fly off the handles for anything uh, at any moment. Jesus never had to circle back to people and apologize for, hey, I didn't mean to say that. Uh, that was not the way of Jesus. But on the other hand, Jesus was not stoic. He, he was not unemotional. He had passions, and he displayed passions. And that includes anger. We see even in Jesus that Jesus became angry. This is important. This is so, so important to study. When, you, when you're seeing this about meekness, it's so important to see this. When did Jesus display those passions? When did Jesus get angry? Well, Jesus displays beautifully Aristotle's notion about becoming passionate at the right time and the right measure for the right reason. Jesus was not reactive to the cutting words of his critics. He didn't uh, find himself raising his voice when he, people misunderstood him. He was quite okay with that. But instead, if you notice that Jesus became angry and responsive when the vulnerable were abused or taken advantage of, especially in God's name, that is when Jesus showed himself appropriately passionate the most obvious story that comes to mind for many of us is John 2 when Jesus goes to the temple and overturns the temple, right? We see that this passionate Jesus displaying himself in that way. A careful reading for this shows us why he was angry. For me as a child, I, I remember just thinking that Jesus didn't want 
for there to be exchanging of money in the temple, kind of like a, uh, a gift shop on the, at the very end of a, a beautiful basilica in Europe or something like that. But instead, what we, <clears throat> a more careful reading of this story shows it was exploitation that was going on. Because it was Passover, Jewish people from all over the Middle East, they came to Jerusalem to, made their, to make their sacrifices. But since many traveled a far distance, they couldn't bring their animals with them. So instead, they showed up with money to purchase the animals to make their sacrifice. And uh, inventive business people, they knew that. So what did they do? Well, they just raised the price for these sacrifices beyond what people could pay. And people saw that this moment of worship for all of their, their Jewish brothers and sisters was a place and an opportunity to exploit the brothers and sisters for their own wealth. And because of that, John 2, 15 through 17 says this. So Jesus made a whip out of cords and drove all the people out of the courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables to those who, were sold, who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. You see, Jesus was appropriately passionate, but it wasn't for self-preservation. It was the care for the vulnerable and for the sake of God's name. This is when the meek show their passions. The fourth, re- the fourth definition we find Uh, about meekness in our scripture is this idea of restrained power. The most clear connection to this word proutus in the culture of that day and age is is, is used when uh, to describe a tamed animal, which is an interesting notion. So meekness is used to describe when an animal is tamed. An expression of meekness is uh, imagine a wild animal that was taught uh, that was taught and was restrained. It, it had learned to use its energy in the, for good. So imagine the difference between a wild horse and a tamed horse. <clears throat> the tamed horse is no less strong, but they've learned how to harness that strength for good. And in the same way for people, meekness does not mean that you're flimsy or shy or mousy. It means that you have learned where to apply your strength. does not mean that you're spineless. It just means that you give your power to what really matters, and you give it to that end. I recently watched a documentary about a name named Buck Brenneman. He's a person who inspired the, uh, the movie The Horse Whisperer. Anyone familiar with him? And there's this awesome documentary called Buck that talks about who he is. This documentary also explained what Buck would do to break in a horse. What was amazing was his tactics were completely contrary to what the, uh, the, the typical approach was. The predominant way of breaking in a horse was through uh, pain, lashes, brutality. But because of his childhood and the physically abusive father that, that he had, he wanted to find a different way. And so Buck decided to break in these horses through gentleness, through consistency, through calmness, and through meekness, gentle correction. And these, the results were amazing. It shows this in this documentary. He would take this young, uh, young uh, horse or this wild horse, and within a matter of 15 minutes, this horse would be following him around like he was tamed for years. The reason why people 
grow in meekness is because Christ has broken us in. Christ has broken us in not by abuse or shame or violence. Many of us have been broken in by bad religion, by the use of shame, abuse, violence. But those won over in the way of Jesus, they've been broken in by consistent love and care. And slowly we begin to open ourselves up to Jesus. And because of that, because of Jesus' kindness and gentleness, we then follow Christ. We are then tamed by Christ's love and mercy, and we follow him with our very lives. This is displayed beautifully in Matthew 11, 28, 29, 30, when Jesus said this, an invitation to a weary crowd. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke is what you put on an oxen or an animal to guide him. So this is what Jesus is saying is take, take this yoke and put it upon, upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. Any guess what Jesus' self-description gentle is? Proutus. Jesus is saying, follow me because I am meek. I am gentle. Learn from me. Find rest, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We take on the yoke of Jesus. We are tamed by Christ's love because our Savior is meek himself, because he's gentle and humble in heart. And Christ's yoke is his, it's not heavy, it's not burdensome, it's light. And the reason why Jesus puts yokes upon us is because he wants us to be led to the place where we will flourish, where we'll find rest for our souls. This is why Christ leads us and invites us into meekness. And although it's unfamiliar to us in our normal vocabulary, you know that you are drawn to meek people. In this idea of humble people who use their strength for good, people who are gentle, you know that you admire them. Those are the type of leaders that you would want to follow. People with a quiet, hum, humble, and appropriate strength. Here's examples for me of meekness. Martin Luther King Jr. Was he a strong person? Yes. Was he courageous? Yes. But he caused change not through violence, but through nonviolent protests. And he's displaying restrained power. And he was passionate about the right thing, about the historic and systematic injustice that was done to African Americans in this country. He led and caused change through meekness. Another person, Mother Teresa. If you were to study Mother Teresa's life, it would be a crash course lesson on humility. But you would also find that she displayed such strength on the appropriate for the appropriate reasons. She cared deeply about the people that God cared deeply about. She cared deeply about the image of God for those people in her culture and her time and place that were the most discarded. And she gave her life to that. We're drawn to people like them because we know that their example of meekness changes this earth. So you might say, well, how about someone in our own church, right? How about this guy? Mike Roberts. He's not here today, I don't think. Mike, are you here? He's like, this guy is a, he's a person of strength, but he also has this quiet confidence. 
And he, uh, he's, he's not mousy. Have you ever hugged Mike? It's like hugging a, a concrete pillar. He's strong. I know. I used to spot for him. He needed, he needed a lot of my help. He's gentle, and I bring this up also. Next week is the Roberts last Sunday with us. They're moving to Dallas. Hug that concrete pillar a lot, he and Megan. They're both, they, they both display meekness, quiet confidence, but strength and wisdom and courage and humility. And of course, the ultimate example of meekness is our Savior, Jesus. Jesus has shown us the way of meekness. He's shown us this way. Boston College professor and author Peter Kreef said, about uh, this. To see what meekness is, you must look not at meekness, but at Christ. Saying meekness is this or that sends you to concepts which are pale copies of reality. Saying Jesus is meek sends you to the reality of it. To follow Jesus is to follow the meek one, and that alone is a good blessing. But Jesus also said in this beatitude, he extends the blessing even further. What are offered for those who are meek? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We must consider what in the world did it mean to inherit the earth in that original context. This, remember, on this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was teaching in front of his disciples and a large crowd of people gathered. And what do you think it would mean to them to inherit land? For this Jewish community, they would hear this idea of God giving land, and they would think perhaps of this promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. They would think about following Moses through uh, being delivered from, by the plagues and being uh, led by Moses into the desert where they had to learn to trust God with the belief that at the end of it, they were going to inherit the land, the land that was promised. And so Jesus is using language that was very com- common known to them. It's a part of their story But that's not it. I think that statement would have had a tinge of sadness. Why this Jewish crowd was was standing on this promised land. They were there, but it wasn't theirs anymore. It wasn't wasn't their land anymore. Rome had conquered Israel. They had taken this land. And all around them was this reminder of the promised land that seemed to be lost But don't worry, one day God will send us a Savior and he will rise up and he will conquer the Romans and he will overpower them and kick them out by violence and force. And then here Jesus says, actually it's the meek. It's the meek that will inherit the earth. Not the mighty, not the warrior, not the militant. This land is given to the meek. And this is so important, what Jesus is saying and this land will be inherited. It won't be earned. It won't be conquered. It won't be purchased. It won't be won. It will be inherited. It will be bestowed upon the meek. It will be given over to them. Those who have learned to, to harness strength towards faith and fidelity, those who have learned how to exist in gentleness and humble heart, those who have placed themselves under Jesus and learned the sweetness of following him, that type of meekness will be the meekness that will be followed by such promise by by the Savior. And God has an inheritance for you too. A promised land. I'm not talking about the name it 
and claim it prosperity and wealth kind of concept. Instead, no, God longs for your life to be marked by his promise. Just like he longed to give the promised land to the Israelites, God has promises for you, a promise of of peace undisturbed by the world around you, a promise of deep and abiding contentment in life, a promise that, uh, that there's blessings and there's a kingdom that God wants to give you that cannot be earned. It cannot be bought. It is, belongs to those who learn to live with humility, gentleness, and meekness. And I wonder if today that God might invite you and I into meekness. I wonder if today, if you're, you and I are being invited to grow in humility, who longs to, to, to grow in gentleness in their own life today? For the area in your life where there feels like there's such little space between stimulus and response that God wants to grow this meek ability to see wisely the space and to insert gentleness and meekness there. To learn how to be appropriately passionate for the right reasons. I wonder if God wants you and I to learn to release our, ourself in courageous trust and to follow Jesus with everything. Surely this is the way of Jesus. And surely this is the promised land that he wants to give us. To experience his kingdom where the meek one reigns invites us to know and experience him. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth.